This podcast is a project of the Mass Cultural Council. We believe in the power of culture, the arts, humanities, and sciences to enrich communities, advance equity, and foster creativity. Young people essentially will be the patrons of the future, but beyond that, they are also the workforce of the future. And I think the key thing to note here is that if leaders are not necessarily thinking about that now, then the reality of that uh, shift will catch up with them later. Hi, I'm Anita Walker at the Mass Cultural Council, and welcome to Creative Minds Out Loud. I'm delighted that our guest today is Zakia Thomas because she was a longtime member of the Mass Cultural Council, but now she is working at the Boston Symphony Orchestra as Executive Director of Education, Community Engagement, and Inclusion. And welcome to our program, Zakia. Thank you so much for having me, Anita. I think I don't know anyone who has done more work um, in the greater Boston community around community engagement and, and inclusion um, than you. Uh, you've worked at the ballet. Where else? You've worked at the Museum of Fine Arts Boston and, and now, again, the Boston Symphony Orchestra. So talk to me a little bit about what your observations are around this community as our cultural organizations are really eager to uh, be more inclusive. Absolutely. Uh, cultural institutions, as you know, are complex organizations. And I think people know that in theory, but they have no idea what it means to actually manage all of that change and actually think about the vision and the strategy for community engagement in organizations that are large, small, and medium-sized. And those organizations certainly are organizations who are seeking to uphold excellence in terms of the artistic craft, but they're also really thinking about the relevance of what they do in every single context. Uh, what I've certainly seen is that organizations are interested in continuing to grow and expand how they work with people and how they engage pe with people uh, in terms of what they do. But one of the greatest challenges is capacity. What is their actual capacity to get that work done? And how are they resourced, certainly, to do that work? Um, First and foremost, I think that having done work in each of those cultural institutions, the symphony, uh, the orchestra, um, and also the MFA and the ballet, uh, I've, I've certainly seen that there are capabilities um, at every level of the institution, but it's often difficult to tap into those capabilities. And so I think that going forward, the leadership is certainly tasked with thinking about um, how to use those resources differently and in a manner that allows for sustainability. So um, if you were going to walk into a new organization, maybe one that doesn't even exist yet and you have all of this experience uh, behind you, what is one of the first things you're going to be looking for in the organization? What is what is one of the first steps an organization could take? Is it's, is it's trying to either improve its capacity to be more inclusive um, and engage more of the community? I think it's important to take an audit of what the current challenges are and what the key opportunities are, but, but to do so in a manner that is inclusive. I think oftentimes organizations are challenged with gathering information um, at every level of the organization and really tapping into ideas from staff who are younger, staff who are newer, as well as staff who bring an enormous amount of historical information to the table. And so I think that that is a fundamental part of uh, information gathering, but also an, an, an opportunity to harness and, and gather new ideas. So a lot of it is right there sitting in the desk next door. 
Absolutely. And, and listening, but also thinking about how to implement and thinking, I think, most importantly about three key things. What is the guiding philosophy? What is the leadership uh, strategy? And how does that leadership translate into the way that the organization gets managed? So you use this uh, term, um, the institutional narrative. What does that mean? When I think about the institutional narrative, I think about not only the art form, but the history of the art forms that are presented. And I also think about, um, particularly think about, the way in which that narrative is communicated to communities and how those communities are connected to that narrative. So, so Give for an example. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. For example, if you think about the life of a composer and think about the work that's been produced, it's incorporating or thinking about the historical narrative, not only of that composer, but also thinking about the context that surrounded the particular composer and artist. What is their life story? What were their challenges? What were, the, what were their life trajectories? And thinking about how those things actually went unpacked uh, provide an opportunity to create relevance for a given community and for a given audience or for, for a community partner for that matter. And I think that those things are absolutely fundamental in thinking about how to be successful in engaging communities and individuals within those communities no matter whether they're adults or young people. So it kind of starts with storytelling and understanding stories and sharing stories beyond just the notes on a page. Absolutely. I think, I, I often think about my own story and how I was invested in at an early age. Um, my mother was a career educator and I studied violin uh, starting at age five and also studied piano um, at her request. <laughs> <laughs> or insistence. Or insistence. Um, but I think the, the key thing about my experience is that I had a lifelong uh, exposure um, and lifelong access to arts and culture. And I had parents who essentially curated my educational experience. And I think that when you think about that kind of trajectory and you think about the key touch points or the, the key opportunities to do so within cultural institutions, it is possible to actually do the same thing at an institutional level. If every facet of an organization or every person in an organization is dedicated to the education process, um, no matter what their day-to-day -day role is, then there is an opportunity to really curate the experience, not only of the traditional audience member, but also for individuals who may have an, a passive or uh, engagement with the organization or who have had no knowledge or no experience with an organization at all. You know, one way that I think a lot of our organizations are thinking about the audience of the future or bringing in diverse audiences is working with youth. Is that a good strategy? It's absolutely a good strategy because what it does is recognize that the, the dependence on the audiences that exist today is actually not sustainable. That young people essentially will be the patrons of the future, but beyond that, they are also the workforce of the future. And I think the key thing to note here is that if leaders are not necessarily thinking about that now, then the reality of that uh, shift will catch up with them later. I think every leader in a cultural institution has to ask themselves what they think the real capabilities are of the young people who engage with them, both actively, passively, and or not at all. And I think in thinking about those kinds of things, they have to think about whether or not the management structure that they have is uh, facilitates the ability to work with young people effectively, and whether or not the leadership strategy that exists is one that incorporates young pe people and thinks about them holistically and ensures that they're engaged fully. 
with, with that in mind, I think one of the things that's incredibly important is to think about how young people get integrated both as individuals who are being uh, cultivated as audience members, but also how they fit into a workplace or human capital strategy for an organization. So you need to think beyond, oh, they could be in the audience. They, um, could, they could get a job here. <laughs> they could get a job. When we think about a holistic education for young people, we think about um, whether or not they're having a, an, an education that allows for them to have strong interdisciplinary knowledge. We want them to understand English. We want them to understand science, technology, arts, education, everything, every aspect of the world around them. And one of the key components of that is thinking about how that skill and how those um, awarenesses are applied. Um, the application process is important. And if you think about most people who are working in cultural institutions, they're doing more than what is expected. They may be performing on stage, but more than likely they're not. They are working in finance. They're working in the marketing department. They're working in all different um, areas of the organization that require a knowledge and exposure to the arts and a passion for it, but also require a multitude of additional skills. And when we think about creative youth development, what we're thinking about is also power and positioning. How do you empower young people to think about all of the options that are available to them in relationship to cultural institutions, but how do we position them so that they can select and take advantage of opportunities that they may not currently know exist? So what are some real tactical um, pieces of advice that you could give to organizations that may be listening to this podcast? I think the, the key thing is to define what the relationship could and should be for any given audience member. Um, I think working in partnership and in tandem with a community and individuals in that community is key and fundamental to that work. I think the other piece of that too is also creating a shared vision. Um, if the vision is owned by one organization but is not owned by a community, then it's not going to be successful. It's not going to be all become all that it can be. Um, but then also actually putting some strategy strategy around uh, what it means to get from the initial stages to a finished product, as you would do with anything within the context of an arts organization. Um, I think too often the, the ideas that are generated between and among community members are kind of conceptual and remain conceptual or get documented but never used and the goal here is to essentially make sure that there are actually metrics and that there are actually goals and action steps that are implemented um, along the way. So you're talking about evaluation. It's Absolutely. not just best intentions. Exactly. Evaluation is key and accountability is key. When we think about how we are accountable to ticket holders, when we think about how we're accountable to the audience in terms of presenting art that is excellent and of high quality, we, we ensure that there's rigor around that and there needs to be the same degree of rigor around how we uh, work with communities and the kinds of outcomes and outputs that we expect to see. So lots of times I think organizations would sort of think about, okay, so evaluation would be numbers. How many people? Evaluation can mean much more than that. And, and the numbers matter. The, the, the breadth of the engagement matters, but the depth matters as well. And when we think about quality, 
we also have to think about expertise. Um, one key thing that I often think about, particularly as it relates to creative youth development, is, is how knowledgeable are staff members in any given organization about the de developmental needs of any young person, any child. A lot of energy is often spent um, investing in uh, educators who know the artistic craft very well, but may have not had the opportunity to expand their own knowledge of the social and emotional needs of individual young people, or the context or the environments from which they're coming. And so there is the need to really engage uh, both the educators, the practitioners, in that kind of learning and growth and development to ensure that as, uh, as programs get implemented, as ideas get generated, that, they're, that they are in fact executed with excellence and in high quality. You've touched on something that is near and dear to the heart of the Mass Cultural Council, as you probably know, and that is um, this whole idea around professional development for teaching artists. Uh, we have teaching artists literally in every realm, whether it's in the classroom or in um, senior centers or in parks. Um, but there has never really been a lot of really focused uh, professional development for teaching artists. You're an artist and you teach, and that's pretty much the qualification. True. So the Mass Cultural Council, in partnership with a major foundation in Boston, um, last year launched the first professional development for teaching artists in creative youth development, as you've mentioned creative youth development in our conversation here today. And little did we know that this has never been done before. But it goes to your actual point. It's more than knowing the technical rigor of the art form, and it includes the youth development part of creative youth development um, and all of the other um, um, facets that uh, affect a young child's life and trajectory. Absolutely. The, the ability to empower educators and to empower them in a variety of different ways is critical if the goal is to produce results that are in fact um, high quality, but also results that can be replicated in meaningful ways. The, the goal is not simply to uh, facilitate exposure. I think in most cases, the idea is to generate and cultivate long-term engagement and commitment to the art form, and that can only be done if there is a, a cognizance or an awareness of all of the things, the external factors essentially, that impact someone's ability to engage with the art. And I think that long-term investment uh, in, in professional development is fundamental to ensuring that that kind of um, outcome actually exists. What's wonderful about um, this new um, professional development for teaching artists is it's, it does recognize that it is a field of practice. Yes. And first we have to call it that. <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> That's the first step. And then um, uh, the professional development, even just assembling the community, just convening, just calling it a practice and bringing teaching artists together and respecting the fact that they are doing something that is defined. Well, I think people often think about uh, teaching artists as doing something that comes naturally. But what, in fact, they are doing is really outlining a, a certain way that practice um, gets implemented. And I think what we expect from teaching artists is something that is creative, but 
something that is often not thought of as being rigorous in nature. Um, but what we know from engaging with teaching artists, um, engaging with you know individuals who work directly with them, is that there is in fact a process, and that process is just as important as what they are able to produce creatively. Um, we would never look at the private sector and not you know assume that there's research and development happening that produces you know pharmaceuticals that matter <laughs> and so why would we assume something different of creative practice that there is no research involved that there is no development process that ensures that you have um, high quality um, product so to pull the threads of the conversation together here uh, what you're saying is Intentions are wonderful, ambitions are great, but a rigorous process that has measurable outcomes that are perhaps even deeper than how many people come to the show um, are all part and parcel of a successful strategy around inclusion. They are, and I think what they do what they do collectively is create an infrastructure and an architecture on which um, ideas and great art can actually be made. Zakia Thomas, the Boston Symphony Orchestra, another one of our creative minds out loud. Thank you, Anita. To learn more about this episode and to subscribe, visit creativemindsoutloud.org.